0: Well, are you ready to do some work, some heart work? And uh, let the Holy Spirit of God work in us as we open the word together. Let's ask him to do that, okay? Father, I pray that you will, by your spirit, move in us today. Um, This is one of those messages that every single one of us is going to feel it. So we ask you to bring it. And we're making a commitment I hope that you will with me right now, my brothers and sisters, that, Lord, we make the commitment that we will respond to the leading of your spirit, the moving of your spirit, the conviction of your spirit. We give ourselves to you. We are yours. And so do with us what you want and use your word today to impact our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Go ahead and have a seat. And take your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. As we uh, really just get started, last week was the intro to our new series called Blessings from the Mountain. And uh, in our journey towards increased righteousness, are you on that journey? Yes. Are you? Okay, I need people more than like three people, you know, to like get into, get into this today to let me know that you're here, all right? But um, together, together, we're on a journey, we are. And we're all on a different place on that journey, I know that, because we all are growing at different levels, but we should all be growing towards increased righteousness and the fruit, bearing the fruit of righteousness. And we're also, um, anybody... Anybody want to vote for happiness? <laughs> Who said that? I'm going to call somebody out here. Like, who's just said, sure? Was that you? Was that you? Brother, you better get a lot more excited than just, sure. Anybody want happiness? Sure. Let's all say that together. Anybody want happiness? Sure. You want to change your mind? You want to change your word? Yes. Anybody want happiness? Yes. Yes, Yes, I do. I know you do too. Here's the, (laughs) that's a weird way to start the service. It's your fault though. It's your fault. I've been having some conversations with some people that are struggling with this happiness thing. Because like, aren't we not supposed to pursue happiness? Aren't we supposed to pursue joy? Yes. Um, If we are all about pursuing happiness, we're gonna be disappointed in this world. Right? Because you're not gonna find it. You're gonna find, you can, true or false, you can have joy in the midst of sorrow. Okay? Um, Humanly or divinely? Divinely. And yet, You can't get by the fact that the word that Jesus uses is blessed on here in this passage, in the Beatitudes, in chapter 5 of Matthew, which means extreme happiness. And so what we're talking about and what we're pursuing is a different kind of happiness that the world knows. And I'm going to talk about that here in just a little bit. But we are climbing the mountain of the Lord to sit underneath the greatest sermon that he's ever preached. In fact, you have to say this is the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. Is Matthew five, six, and seven. And we start in Matthew five, verse one. Let's read it, okay? You there? Matthew five, one. We're gonna be in three verses today. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what I want you to hear is that we are starting at the beginning of Jesus' introduction to his sermon. You understand that? If you're looking at the whole sermon, which is Matthew five, six, and seven encompasses his entire sermon, the Beatitudes are his introduction to the whole sermon. Now we might bite off the rest of this Uh, Sermon in the beginning of 24. I'm working on that right now. We'll see. We may not be here in 2024, but we'll see. Um, But we're gonna be spending an abundance of time studying just the introduction of his sermon. But what I want you to hear at the beginning of this now is that the body of his sermon, in the body of Jesus' sermon, he is calling his followers to a new standard of living. Now, if you notice that Jesus saw the crowds they went up to the mountainside and sat down and his disciples came to him and who was he teaching Look at your bibles Don't look up here look at your bibles what is who is he teaching His disciples he began to teach his disciples And so this teaching that we the the sermon on the, bow, on the mount is for the followers of Jesus Now there were all kinds of multitude a multitude of people that came But they weren't, the message is not for them, even though he knows they're listening in. The message is for those who are in Christ, those of us who follow him. This is who this message is for. And so, what he's going to do in the body of the sermon is call us, his followers, to a new standard of living, to a new kind of life. And this new standard of living, is counterintuitive to everything that the world knows and everything that the world practices. In fact, it's counterintuitive to the way you were brought up and the way that you were brought up to think because you're a product of this sinful world. But the promise is that if we will do the work of climbing this mountain of righteousness that Jesus is going to present to us, and in the way that Jesus says to do it, then the result will be genuine, glorious, extreme happiness, not a happiness that the world can offer, but only the happiness that you can find in him. And let me remind you that this happiness we talked about last week is blissful, content satisfaction that can only be found in God. It can't be found in the world. It doesn't exist out there, and to pursue it in the world will leave us with ash in our mouth, will leave us with emptiness in our hands. What does Solomon say about it? It'll be like a chasing of the wind, is what he said. Remember this statement? The tree of happiness does not grow in the cursed earth. Happiness is only found in God alone. And Jesus in his sermon is not giving us Like a new emphasis on external behavioral modification. He's not teaching us, and get the nuance to this, okay? He's not teaching us necessarily a new way to live every day. He's like giving us a whole list of rules, and if you just do all these things, you can't read the Sermon on the Mount like that. If you just check off your list, then you'll have the happiness and the joy that God has, and you'll be pleasing to the Lord. Instead, He's teaching us through this sermon a new way to think that will result in a new way that we live every day. Does that make sense? Do you understand that? In fact, if if you don't grasp this part of it, then you're not gonna be able to make sense of anything else that we're about to study. He's after our hearts, not after behavioral modification. He knows that if you, and that's what the Beatitudes are. The Beatitudes are flipping our thinking so that we can have a heart change that will result in behavioral modification. All right. That's where the best behavior comes from is out of a heart that is changed, not just I'm afraid I'm gonna deal with the consequences of whatever I do, therefore I won't do it, because that won't last. On. We're, we're looking, we're sensing, we're going after heart change, and that's what Jesus wants for us. So the Beatitudes are offering us a happiness based on that new standard of life. And at the very beginning here, this is what we're working on. That standard is a selfless standard. Write that down somewhere. Everything about the standard that Jesus wants us to live is, is selfless. And this selfless, I call it countercultural standard, is distinctive to Christians. In fact, if we, if we live the way that Jesus is teaching us to live here in the Sermon on the Mount, we will be different, we will look different, everyone in the world will see us as different. Sadly, many Christians today have lost their distinctiveness by allowing themselves to be shaped and molded by the world, and, and molded into the world to a point that you can't tell who is and who isn't. And it's not supposed to be like that. See, the world's standards as it relates to sexual morality, marriage, divorce, equity and inclusion, wokeism, the world's standards relating to the importance of food, and drugs and alcohol, entertainment and sports, and I could just keep on going, right? I could just keep on listing and listing. The world standard as it relates to all of that pulls us into itself. And if we're not careful, like we talked about last week, it's very easy for us to lose our distinctiveness In the face of all the stuff that's in the world, if we allow, if we step back into it and we allow it to draw us back in. Jesus is saying to us, remember last week, don't be like them. Don't be like what you used to be. You're different now. I've changed you. I've cleaned you up. We sang about it all morning long. I have taken care of you now. You need to walk a different path. And I want you to live differently, you listening, and if you will learn from me and hear me and live the way that I'm teaching you how to live, then you'll experience happiness on this earth. But if this is the only way to it. Got it? I don't need to say any more, right? You totally got it. Totally understand. Nod your head. All right, good, I can go on. Today's message is losing self-reliance. Last week's message was searching for happiness. Well, how do you find it? Lose self-reliance. This is the first thing that Jesus teaches us in Matthew 5, three, look at it again. Blessed or happy are the, here's our focus, poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, um, we're gonna see a sequence with these blesseds, as we go through it, okay? These beatitudes. Uh, first, today, we're gonna see that being poor in spirit, in verse three, will lead us to mourning in verse four. And that will lead us to an attitude of meekness, in verse five, which calls and draws our hearts to hunger and thirst after righteousness, in verse six. And that hunger and thirst for righteousness will manifest itself in mercy, verse seven, in purity of heart, verse eight, and with a peacemaking spirit, verse nine. Are you ready for this, though? Okay, the result of being merciful and pure in heart and peacemaking in the world will actually draw the anger and hatred of the world, which will lead, Jesus says, to insults, persecution, and people falsely accusing you. And you might ask yourself the question, why would they do that? Aren't I doing nice things? What's the answer? Sure. Yes, isn't it? Doesn't everybody want people to be merciful and pure and peacemaking? Yes. No. Here's what Jesus is telling us. By the time you live out these attributes of God, these things that only come from a life in God, truly come from a life in God, by the time you act those things out, the world will be irritated with you and they will react. We actually saw how that worked in Matthew chapter 24. Remember, we were going through all of that. The world will hate you. But when it's all been said and done, Jesus says, we can, verse 12, rejoice and be extremely glad because your reward in heaven will be great and you will truly become, verse 13, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But you need to hear me. Are you listening? You need to hear me. You cannot be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You can't live in verse 13 until you begin in verse three. So we're gonna work our way from verse three up to 13 and by the time we're all done, we will be living, we will be rocking our lives for the Lord and we will become the salt of the earth and the light of the world like never before. Hallelujah. Good, thank you. I'm glad you're excited about that. As I am too. All right, here we go. Matthew 5, 3. Here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I want to try to answer five different questions about what it is to be poor in spirit. So let's start with this. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? I'm going to read these this list very slowly and very carefully, and I want you to examine your heart as I do. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. It is a sense of of powerlessness in ourselves. It is a sense of spiritual bankruptcy and helplessness before God. It is a sense of moral uncleanness before God. It is a sense of personal unworthiness before God. And it is a sense that if there is to be any life or joy or usefulness, it will have to be all of God, and all of grace, and none of me. Right down next to that, Pastor John Piper. These are powerful notes right here. These are powerful statements that describe what it is to be poor in spirit. But if you notice, it says, it is a sense of. And the reason we say it's a sense of powerlessness and a sense of bankruptcy and a sense of uncleanness and a sense of unworthiness is because in reality, you guys, whether you sense it or not, whether you feel it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, every single person who walks this planet is poor in spirit. Come on. Everyone is powerless without God. Everyone is bankrupt and helpless and unclean and unworthy before God. But listen to what we're talking about today. Jesus is saying only those who know it and sense it and acknowledge it and confess it will be the recipients of the blessing. We're all bankrupt. All of our righteousness is Filthy rags, the scripture says, before the Lord. We all are powerless and nothing before him. But those who truly understand it and who get it and will confess it and will humble themselves to that point, Jesus says, blessing is yours. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. You know what the word poor means? So, like, you know how in the Greek language there's different, they'll have two or three meanings for a word that's translated into one English word, poor. That's what we have going on here. There's two different kinds of words that they use in the Greek language for poor. One is just simply, oh, you poor thing, you know, or I'm poor, so I got to go get a job. Then there's another word that is poor like begging poor, poor like destitute. In fact, it was the word that Jesus used to describe the beggar, Lazarus the beggar. Remember in Luke chapter 16, this poor that Jesus is talking, about blessed are the poor in spirit, is a begging kind of poor. It's the kind of poor like, I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. I can't earn my way to prosperity. I can't do it because I have no skill and I am actually nothing. I'm like, a, I'm like a cripple in the street. I'm like a blind man and a deaf and dumb man that's sitting in the corner somewhere with his arms outstretched, raised in the air, begging for grace and mercy and the gifts of somebody else. I am totally dependent kind of poor upon someone else in order to survive, in order to live or I will die. That's the kind of poor that we're talking about here. If I don't have somebody come to my rescue right now, I'm going to die. Blessed are the poor, poor in spirit. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. It's the, it's the absence of pride. It's the opposite of self-reliance and self-assurance. And don't you know, this makes no sense to the world. What does the world tell us about everything about self-esteem? Think about it. It's all about you first. I hear that so many times these days. And you know, it kind of makes sense. If I'm not healthy how can I help somebody else? I got to take care of me first and then I can take care of somebody else. Now that makes kind of common sense, Uh right? But in Jesus' world, in Jesus' kingdom, there's no room for self-esteem. Oh, I just made some of you mad. (laughs) I'm telling you, this is so counter to our culture, and to humanity. See, it's all about, I should be building up your self-esteem. You should be building up my self-esteem here in church, Phil. Don't tell me I'm nothing. Don't tell me I'm worthless. Don't tell me I'm bankrupt. Don't tell me I'm poor. Okay, you're special. You're awesome. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. Go out there and see if that works. Go out there and see how that does for you. See if you can find happiness in your self-esteem. Can I tell you something? You're going to be sorely disappointed. I'm all cranked up because I know how sorely disappointed I am in myself. I can't do this stuff. In fact, the righteousness that we do in Christ, forget before Christ, in Christ, the righteousness we do in Christ, we can't do of ourselves. It has to be done by the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work within us, that even even accomplishes anything of righteousness, anything of value. And so therefore, I am extremely poor, begging poor. I'm desperate. Somebody has to save me or I'm going to die. We actually can see this illustrated in the great men of God like Isaiah. When he saw a vision of God in Isaiah chapter six, when he saw God and he saw a vision of who God really is, this is how he responded. I am so cool. I got to sit in the presence of God. I am so special. Abraham didn't do it like me. I got to see him in all of his glory. I must be very special to God. Now, here's what he says. Woe to me. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You can see it in Gideon when God called him to go and save Israel. Oh, great, mighty warrior. I want you to, I have a task for you. I want you to go take care of this. I want you to save my people. And Gideon responds, pardon me, my Lord, (laughs) but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family, poor in spirit. We can see it in Job after coming to grips with who God is in the midst of all the horrible things that happened to him. And he says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, and therefore I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. It's kind of like Peter. When Peter came in and was confronted by Jesus' miraculous power on the lake of Gennesaret, remember when the great catch of fish, he just, Jesus said, cast your dam on the other side, and, and Peter's like, Jesus, you're not a fisherman. We've been doing it all night. Just cast it over there, Peter. All right, whatever. And they catch the great catch of fish. This is how he responded at the miracle. When confronted with the miraculous power of Jesus, in Luke 5, 8, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Or like Paul, who realized that in his flesh, There is no good thing, not one good thing, that he was incapable of doing the good that he had hoped he would. He even acknowledged that he was the chief of sinners. Now, I I disagree with him. He said that everything he had was dung, dung. Do you need me to describe what that is? Everything I have is dung and I count all things that I have as loss and I have no confidence in the flesh. Hear me, hear me, church. This is is what's going on here. The admission of your weakness and your poverty of spirit, your utter nothingness before God is not the end of the journey. It is the beginning of the journey. And God identifies with people who come to him on their knees. Isaiah 66, two says this. These are the ones that I look on with favor. Do you want want the favor of God? Come on, come on. Yes, I wanna have the favor of God. This is where it is right here. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit. Those who are poor in spirit. This draws the gaze of the Lord. And who tremble at my word. You know what humility is? having a proper view of yourself. Woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah 51.7, God will not despise a broken and contrite heart. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. Okay, so second question. Why did Jesus pick this one first? There's a whole bunch of them. Why did he go for this one right off the bat at the beginning of the beginning of his message? Well, here's why. Because being poor in spirit is the foundational characteristic of Christianity. This, he starts here because this is the starting place. Hear me now. No one has ever entered God's kingdom on the basis of pride or personal accomplishments. Poverty of spirit is the only way into the kingdom. It's the starting point for entering, getting into the kingdom, and it is the starting point for growth in the kingdom once you're in. John MacArthur put it this way, the door to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is very low, and the only people who come in crawl in. Are you believing this? Are you, are you listening to this? Are you resonating with this? No, is it depressing you a little bit? No. Good. It depresses me. I had a hard time sleeping last night thinking about this. Because I know where I'm at, but this is what God, God says. We come to him like a beggar. Blind, deaf, dumb, crippled, and lost in our sin. And my friends, we're exactly all of those things when we come to Christ. Before we are in Christ, we are completely lost. We're completely blind, deaf, and dumb to the things of the Spirit. You can't come to God on your own. You can't do it. You come to him completely broken. You come to him completely poor in spirit. And we reach up from our knees crying, save me, Lord. And Jesus is saying, this is the starting point. Happiness is for the humble for the poor in spirit. And until we are poor in spirit, Christ will never be precious to us because we can't see him for looking at ourselves all the time. Until we truly know how damned we are because of our sin, we can't appreciate his glorious sacrifice and shed blood until we comprehend how doomed we are we will never understand the wonders of his love and grace. Yes, sir. And until we see our poverty, we will never understand the great riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. There's a saying, goes like this, out of the carcass comes the honey. It's kind of gross. What it means is out of the stench of death comes life, but that's you and me. And we have to, we have to acknowledge that. We have to agree with that. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. And we have to humble ourselves and admit that or you can't come to Christ. Today, some of you are right there. There are some right here in this room or online, wherever you are visiting with us and and joining us, that you just have not come to the place of complete humility yet where you say to God, all right, I give. Uh Down with self-esteem, I agree with you, I am nothing. And poor in spirit, I come to you, hands lifted high, begging for life. If you don't save me, I'm gonna die. That's beautiful. And today, you can have salvation in him if you would just do that. I can't do it for you, I can't get you there. I can just tell you about it. But Jesus is saying, you want true happiness? You gotta come to me, and you gotta come to me on your knees. Because the Lord detests the proud of heart. That's what Proverbs 16, 5 says. But James tells us, but he gives grace to the humble. This is why Jesus has to start here. Because the only way to come to God in his kingdom is to confess your unrighteousness. Confess your inability to meet God's standard on your own. Confess you can't do it because you can't do it. He's never turned anyone away who comes to him on their knees. Anyone want to shout hallelujah to that? Hallelujah. I mean, the day you came to him, he did not cast you out. He did not say, nah, it's too late for you. Praise the Lord for that. All right, let's keep on rolling because I'm running out of time. What is the result? Pretty simple, Matthew 5, 3. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're gonna talk more about this in other times, but this is the divine announcement, everybody. This is a proclamation, a declaration. You and I are in the theirs is the kingdom. We are there, we are in there. So you could actually read it like this. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. I wanna to say to you, if you're in Christ, and if you've come to him on your knees, and you have come to him poor in spirit, and you've received his gift of salvation, Yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's present tense. Yours is the kingdom right now. The Bible says that we right now are a kingdom of priests, and we are the subjects of Christ our king. We are right now overcomers over the things of the world, and someday, very soon, we will reign with him in the eternal kingdom. But the reward for those who are poor in spirit is yours is the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's kingdom living right now. And I, some of you scholars out there, some of you theologians right now are going, be careful, Phil. Be careful. Are we talking about the millennial king? Yes, we are. Are we talking about his kingdom right now? Yes, we are. (laughs) If you're poor in spirit and you know it and you've come to him, yours is the kingdom. Will we reign with him? Absolutely, we will reign with him forever. Forever and ever and ever. But right now, we are a kingdom of priests. How awesome is that? Awesome. That's awesome. That's exactly right. Okay, keep going. How do we become poor in spirit? Three things. This is where it will sting a little bit, okay? So I'm just going to warn you. uh, This is where it stings me. The first thing to become poor in spirit is you've got to imitate Christ. Done are the things of the world. Um, we talked about this last, I'm not gonna spend a bunch of time on some of these because we did spend quite a bit of time on them last week, but the standard has been set, and this, <laughs> this really isn't fair. I'll just be honest with you. See, when, when Jesus calls us out, he says things like this. Be ye holy, for I am holy. And what that means is you need to be holy just like I am holy. How many of us are ever going to be holy just like God is holy? Well, someday we will. One guy. Someday we will. Right now, though? Eh. So why does he say that? He's setting a standard. Yes. He's setting something for us to reach for. <laughs> Imitate Jesus. Come on, Phil. Can you give us something a little lower shelf? <laughs> Imitate Jesus. Well, you want to read it? Philippians chapter two, verse five. Come on, let's go. Your attitude, this is the imitation. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That's just depressing. Because I know I can't do it. Well, what does that mean? What, what are we supposed to imitate? Here it is. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Your Bible might say something to be grasped to or held on to. He was willing to give up his rights in order to serve everybody else, i.e. you and me. We celebrated it in communion today. He was willing to leave his throne in heaven, and what does it say here? Be made nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So when he took on flesh, he showed the servanthood that we're supposed to be taking on, and being found in appearance as a man after taking on flesh, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus Christ, the God-man, God, the God-man, the second person of the Godhead, left his throne and came here and humbled himself and took on flesh to sacrifice himself for you who do not deserve it. That's right. And we get to be recipients of that and so, how do you become poor in spirit? Imitate Jesus. Make yourself nothing. That's right. That's work. Is depressing for me. Our whole lives, we're taught to make ourselves something. Right? Yep. That's what I was taught, and I had godly parents, but they were like, "Make something of yourself, Bill." Well, poor in spirit is I've got nothing to make. I can't do anything. I can't make anything. I'm totally dependent on him. And oh, by the way, I'm supposed to empty myself of myself in order to be like Christ so that I can receive the blessings of being poor in spirit. And so not only am I nothing, once I become something in Jesus Christ, I have to make myself nothing in order to get something (laughs) from Christ. Actually, in order to be used by God at all, I've got to empty myself. And that emptying is sacrificing myself for the needs of everyone else around me and holding nothing back for myself. That is depressing. Not depressing in that it's glorious to think about. It's depressing because I know how hard it is for me to be like that. And I so want to be like that. And Jesus is saying, imitate me. Have the same attitude as me. And you'll dive into a blessedness and a happiness and a contentment that you can't possibly know any other way. Any other way. Yes. Imitate Christ. How do you become poor in spirit? Second thing, starve your flesh. What? You heard me. Listen, write this down somewhere. The enemy of a poor spirit is selfishness and self-centeredness. The title of this sermon is Losing Self-Reliance. Dump it, we're done with that. Flee the desi- evil desires, 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. This is what we're supposed to be going after. I'm not going to go any more on this because we just beat it to death last week. Get your feet out of the world, my friends. Stop trying to find your satisfaction in the things of the world. Flee the youthful lusts of your heart and run into the arms of the Lord. That's what it means to be poor in spirit and how to be poor in spirit. Starve your flesh. Imitate Christ in this one. Simply ask for it. Okay, this is beggar poor. Okay, what are beggars really good at? Begging. They're really good at begging. So never stop begging the Lord. Never stop going to him. Don't stop going to his throne and asking him over and over and over again, help me to be poor in spirit. And John 14, 14 says, you can ask me for anything. These are Jesus words, by the way. You can ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. You know, when we studied John 14, 14, we talked about that in my name means according to my will. You can ask me anything according to my will, according to my name and in my name, and I will give it to you. I guarantee you, you start going to the Lord and you start asking him to help you be poor in spirit, he will help you. So true. He will help you. All right, one more question. You, you still good? You with me? Got two minutes to finish it. So, how will I know if I'm poor in spirit? Hey, by the way, you uh, no note people last week. They were irritated. Are you like you good today? I gave you two pages today, so you should be. Oh, you happy? Are you? Yeah, that's good. All right, I'm glad to hear that. All right, how will I know? Let's just go to the end here. Let's take it to the finish line. How will I know if I'm poor in spirit? These are going to be fast. Um, The first one is this self is gone. Self is gone because I begin to reflect Christ. Now, did you know that your spouse can actually ask this question of you? So, like Robin can say to me, Phil, how do I know if you're poor in spirit? Uh, Self is gone second corinthians 3 look at it second corinthians three sixteen. whenever someone turns to the lord the veil is taken away so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the lord and the lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image how do I know if I'm poor in spirit? My life is going to change. Amen. I'm going to look different because self is gone. And I am working every day that I get up, I put my feet on the floor and I say to myself, I'm going to take off the old today. And I'm going to put on the image of Christ and I'm going to live in him. Self is gone. Here's one. You ready? Hold on. Complaining stops because I know I deserve nothing. If you are truly poor in spirit, then you're going to be content in spirit, and you're gonna stop the complaining, and you're gonna stop the critical speech. You're gonna stop being critical of everyone else around you. There you go. You're not, you don't, what do I have to, what does a beggar have to complain about? In fact, all they are is, thank you, I'll even take the little crumbs that fall off the table. Thank you. Thank you. It will come out in that. The third thing, serving others will increase because I'm no longer serving myself. The fourth thing, I will pray more. How do I know if I'm poor in spirit? Because I'm praying all the time. Because beggars are always begging. And they're always asking because they're always in need. And the last thing is this. Praise will result because I can't contain my joy. Blessed, extremely happy are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Would you stand with me and here's how we're gonna close. I'm gonna read over you the words of a man who truly understood what it meant to be poor in spirit. And then, are you ready? Everybody say yes. Yes. We're gonna sing our lungs out. 1 Timothy 1, Paul says this to Timothy. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord is. He fills me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example. Are you listening to this? Are you getting this? He could use me, the chief of sinners, as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they, too, can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen, amen. and amen. Come on, let's sing of his glory and sing of his dependence.
1: And the morning that he rubs, all of heaven held its breath. Till oh, that storm was moved for God, for the lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from the their truce And the angel stood in